Let's read, first of all, the text in Hebrews chapter 11. And then we'll go back to Genesis chapter 13. Last time we looked at verse 8, Abraham called to go out into a place which he should have to receive. Now we look at verses 9 and 10. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise, for he looked for a city which hath foundations whose builder and maker is God. With that in our mind as the text for the sermon tonight, let's go back to Genesis chapter 13. And Abraham went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him, into the south, that is, the south part of Canaan. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver, and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of of the Lord. And Lot also, which went with Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle. And the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between thy herdmen, my herdmen, and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. Then Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And the Lord said unto Abram, after that Lot was separated from him, Lift up now thine eyes, and look from the place where thou art northward, and southward, and eastward, and westward, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, 
so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it and in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Then Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt in the plain of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. May God add his blessing upon the reading of his holy scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, there seems almost to be in this text a paradox. Two conflicting realities. In the seeming paradox that we find in the text, Hebrews 11, verses 9 and 10, is that Abraham is home but he isn't home. Abraham is in the place where God has intended and willed for him to be. As Abraham obeyed God's call and went out into a land that he would have to receive for an inheritance. And yet Abraham recognizes that this is not the place where God intends for him to stay everlastingly. Abraham is in a rich land. It's a land of promise. And yet Abraham has no home, but dwells in canvas flaps of a tent. Abraham is, or will be, with his sons, Isaac, and later on his grandson, Jacob. He's with family, and yet he's a stranger. He's dwelling as a foreigner, a sojourner, in a strange land. And so there is almost this paradox here of two different realities, that on the one hand he is home, and that this is the place that God has ordained for Abraham to live, but on the other hand Abraham is living with the keen awareness of the fact that this is not his home, but he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. And is that not, beloved, precisely what your and my experience is? We're home insofar as we are with family, loved ones. We're home insofar to a certain level God gives us the ability to exercise dominion over the things of this earth and attain some measure of earthly peace and even prosperity. But the more time that we spend on this earth, the more we realize 
I'm really not home. I'm homesick for my heavenly home. Looking for a city. Sojourning in the promised land. We use that as our theme this evening. First, dwelling in tents. Second, seeking a city. Abraham's life in Canaan was characterized by that of a wandering pilgrim. The text, in a couple of different ways, emphasizes the fact that Abraham in the land of Canaan was a stranger. It says he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles, tents, with Isaac and Jacob. A sojourner in this land of promise. A sojourner is one who takes up a temporary residence. That's the idea of a sojourner. A sojourner is one who relocates from one place, moves to a different place, but understands that in this different place he is but an alien, an outsider, and he will not everlastingly dwell in that place, but he takes up a temporary residence in that location. That's what Abraham had done in obedience to the call of God. He had packed up and moved following the word of the Lord. The Lord had guided him. Recall that at first, Abraham didn't know where he was going. He simply knew that God was calling him to leave Ur of Chaldees. And so Abraham had packed up his goods, had gone, his father had gone with him originally up to the city of Haran. In the city of Haran, his father had passed away. He buried his father there. And then God continued calling Abraham from Haran down to this land of Canaan. And now he's a sojourner, taking up temporary residence. Because he's a sojourner here, it makes sense then that he was a stranger. He sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country. A stranger is one who belongs to another. That's Abraham. As Abraham moved into this land of Canaan and got somewhat settled in that land of Canaan, it became evident that Abraham belonged to another. Abraham didn't really fit in in this land of Canaan. Imagine it if you were a local Canaanite, and there comes this man, Abraham, with his wife and his nephew, Lot, and his possessions, his cattle, and his sheep, and he comes into your community. Who is this fellow Abraham? He says he comes from this place of the Chaldeans' land. Is he a friend or is he a foe? What language does he speak? He has an accent different than our accent. 
And he comes into this land and he tells us that this land that we've inhabited as Canaanites for thousands of years is no longer going to be our land, but that he has received a divine promise telling him that this land that we have formerly inhabited is now going to be his land. You can imagine how warm of a reception Abraham received in the land of Canaan. Imagine somebody moved into this area and said, yeah, you think this area belongs to me, but it's going to be mine. And you think your children are going to dwell here, but your children are actually going to get pushed out. This is my land. Because some divine being told me that this is my land. As Abraham moved into the land of promise, it became abundantly clear that he was a stranger. Literally, someone who belonged to another. He did not fit in with the local Canaanites. Then the text tells us further that he dwelt in a tent. As if his existence in the land of Canaan was not strange enough. Dwelling in tabernacles. And that word tabernacles means literally tents. Dwelling in tents with his son Isaac and his grandson Jacob. Simply a piece of canvas that separated his bed from the ground beneath him, simply a piece of canvas that separated him from the rain that would come down or from the heat of the noonday sun. A tent, very little insulating value. Tent does not do a good job of keeping the sound out so that when Sarah sat within her tent and the three angels of the Lord came and talked to Abraham about bearing a son in his old age, Sarah overheard the conversation and laughed within herself. A tent not known for its luxuriousness, not known for its comforts, but a tent easily packed up and moved around from one place to another. Such was the life of our spiritual father, Abraham. No sooner would the tent stakes be pounded into the ground in one location that God would command Abraham to pack up that tent and move to a different place. A nomad and a stranger. He wandered around in this land of Canaan. And Abraham dwelling in a tent as a stranger in the land of promise, God gives unto us a picture of His Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus belonged 
to another. He was a stranger as he came down into this world. Jesus Christ, as he came to this earth, tabernacled with men, even as Abraham tabernacled in the land of Canaan. John 1, verse 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled, among us, full of grace and truth. Jesus lived His whole lifetime on this earth, never really fitting in with His neighbors on this earth. Due not to Jesus Christ being mean or aloof to His neighbors, Do not to any type of deficiency in Jesus Christ's relationship abilities. But Jesus Christ was and remained a stranger on this earth for the entirety of the fact that God willed for him to be here below because it was not the will of God that Jesus would remain here on this earth. But Jesus came down into this world in order to redeem God's people from off of this sin-cursed creation, and to take God's people up unto God the Father. And in order for Jesus Christ to accomplish this, Jesus had to be estranged, not just to the people on this earth, so that the people on this earth became so fed up with Him that they took Him and hanged Him on that cursed tree at Calvary, But Jesus Christ had to become estranged from His own Father in heaven. My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? Jesus understood what it's like to tabernacle and to be a stranger. All of this Abraham did in obedience unto God's will. Notice this fact in verse 8. Abraham received the call by faith Abraham when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. Now if we stopped right there, If we looked at the fact that Abraham had received this call from God, Abraham evaluated whether to obey that call from God or to disobey it, and Abraham by faith concluded that he was conscience-bound to obey the will of God, what would we think that the rest of the story would be? If God comes to you with a calling, and then we in obedience submit unto that calling, what would we expect, or at the very least want, God to do to us? Would we not be inclined to think that obedience to God's call results in Peace, prosperity, others loving me, supporting me, 
encouraging me? Would we not expect that that's what the next verse of the Bible should read? Abraham received this call from God. He obeyed that call from God. And then Abraham flourished because he received and obeyed that call from God. That's what we would anticipate the conclusion of Abraham's obedience would be. But the Bible says anything but that. Abraham received this call from God, a difficult call. Abraham obeyed that call of God as God worked in him that obedience. And the result of Abraham obeying the call of God was he became a stranger in a foreign land. And he lived in an uncomfortable tent. You see, we might wish that God's dealings with us would follow a simple formula. God's calling plus my obedience to the calling equals happiness, joy, prosperity. That's not how God is, as a general rule, pleased to work with us, His children. God's calling plus our obedience to that calling does not automatically result in people surrounding us, encouraging us, upholding us. How often do we not wish for that? A mother who toils in the home, who cleans the home, and then her husband comes home from work, and it's like he didn't even notice that she worked all day to care for the home. A husband who toils hard to provide a paycheck for his family. He labors, and he wishes that his wife would be more thankful And yet it seems like she just takes it for granted. Children who don't appreciate what mom and dad do on behalf of them. Abraham obeyed, and the result of his obedience was he was a pilgrim and a stranger. Abraham's example before us is not setting forth here a command, a specific command, you must go dwell in a tent. You must not have any friends on this earth. That's not what God is teaching us here. Rather, what we are to learn from the example of the patriarch Abraham is that we are to live loosely to the things of this world. That's what Abraham did. He did not cling to earthly possessions. That comes out even in how he handled the difficulty with his nephew Lot. When there was that skirmish between uncle and nephew, they both were fighting over that same limited amount of land that was available to them at that time. Abraham did not send Lot off away in a fit of fury or anger. But Abraham gave unto his nephew Lot the first choice. And that indicates that Abraham lived loosely to the things of this earth. 
And that's the calling that God gives to you and to me through the example of Abraham. Not that we're to go sell our homes or our land and dwell in a physical tent for the rest of our life. But are we ready to let it go? Would we let it go if God required it of us? And then notice with me that Abraham's dwelling in a tent happened generationally. It says that he dwelt in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Abraham did not dwell in a tent alone. And then after that, in the generations following, his sons then built large homes in the land of Canaan, but rather his offspring followed in the example of their father. The text mentions it here almost in a breath, so that it seems like this happens simultaneously or instantaneously, that Abraham dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob. But the reality is, This happened over the course of many, many years. Abraham spent his lifetime living in a tent, and then toward the end of his life when God gave him Isaac, then Isaac began dwelling in a tent, and Isaac lived in a tent for many, many years, and then Jacob, the father of the twelve sons, Jacob dwelt in a tent during his lifetime. And so there is a passing here from one generation to the next generation of being a tent dweller. And the scriptures call attention unto this fact because it teaches us that God's covenant is generational. Yes, it's true that God had come unto Abraham and God had singled out Abraham in giving unto him that promise And God told Abraham, Abraham, you are going to be the one with whom I establish my covenant. Abraham understood that. But Abraham knew also this, that he was not alone in that covenant relationship. But Abraham understood that the promise was unto him and unto his seed, to his children who followed after him. And so Abraham understood that God's relationship is established with a body of people that is larger than himself. And so Abraham, as he lived in the land of Canaan as a pilgrim and as a stranger, he did not isolate himself from God's covenant people, but he dwelt in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. He fellowshiped with his son Isaac when God gave him that son and Jacob following after him. He taught Isaac and Jacob about that covenant that God had established with him and instilled within his children a love for that covenant so that when Isaac came to years of discretion, Isaac didn't abandon the ways of his father and say, well, that was how my father lived, but I don't need to live that way in a tent anymore. I don't need to live as a stranger in this land anymore. I'm going to become one with these Canaanite people. 
No, Isaac did not disregard the instruction and the example of his father Abraham, but son and grandson followed in the tradition of the patriarch Abraham. We live in a world where we don't put much weight in the example of older people. Older people are kind of written off as, well, that worked for you a generation or two ago, but we've gotten a lot smarter now. We're a lot more advanced. There's been changes in the world and in society. So we don't, we don't really need the wisdom of our grandparents, of our great-grandparents. We found things that they haven't found, so we're, we're quite okay without them. But that's not the biblical, covenantal perspective of patriarchs and matriarchs and the church of Jesus Christ. Abraham led by example, making sacrifices in obedience to God's command, living in a tent, and his children followed his example. His children didn't throw that off as outdated advice, but his children walked in the pathway that Abraham formerly had walked in. See, being part of the covenant means that I recognize that I'm part of a body that is larger than myself. Being part of the covenant means that I understand that my life and my existence on this earth is not all about me and about my wants and about my desires. But being part of the covenant means that God has put me in a place where I am able to give and to minister unto others. Abraham sacrificed as a covenant child. He chose not to live in a home, but to dwell in tents as a covenant child. Would God give unto us grace as parents and as grandparents that we may set forth such an example of selflessness unto our children that they can see the value and the blessing of it and for God's sake follow in the examples that have been set for them. Abraham dwelt in a tent and he sought a city. Verse 10, For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. The fact that Abraham looked for that city is not in and of itself an indication of faith. You see, even the world looks 
do they not? Abraham understood that his existence in the land of Canaan was difficult and tedious, constantly packing up, moving from one place to another. Abraham had difficulties, and so Abraham looked. He looked for something different, and he looked for something that he hoped would be an improvement upon his present living conditions. But simply the fact that one endures hardships... And then one, because they are enduring hardships, look for something different that they hope will be an improvement over their present conditions is not in and of itself an indication of faith. Even the ungodly and wicked world does this. The world is always looking for something better. The world recognizes that there is difficulty and brokenness on this earth. And so the world looks. The world looks ahead to next month, next year, next decade. Surely by then, things will have improved on this earth. The world looks to the scientists to offer the cure to diseases upon this earth. The world looks to the politician to take care of the political instability and inflation that has been raging throughout the nation. Always the world is looking, looking, looking for some sort of improvement. But the marker of faith is what are you looking for? You see, the world always looks at the things of this earth. And the world never lifts their eyes up beyond the horizon of this earth, but always their hopes and their dreams are limited to things earthly. That's their hope, that things on this earth will get better, that cancer and disease will be eradicated, that there will be earthly peace among the nations of the earth. Always though the hopes and the looking of the people of this world is confined to things earthly. But for the child of God, The horizon of his hope is not confined to this earth, but his gaze is directed upward to the things beyond this earth. And that's what was the indication of faith in Abraham. Not so much that he looked, but that he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and whose maker is God. Abraham, as it were, held the two things, and weighed them in the balance, the one versus the other. On the one hand, he weighed in the balance what this earth could afford unto him. All of the riches and all of the luxuries that he could enjoy on this earth. And on the other hand, Abraham weighed in the balance that which God could give unto him in a heavenly city. And weighing these two in the balance, the one against the other, Abraham concluded that the eternal heavenly city was far weightier, far more significant than anything that this earth could afford unto him. And so he looked for a heavenly city. You look. You see, it's really an either or, 
is it not? It's either you put your hope, your trust, your expectation in the things of this earth, or you look, you hope, you put your confidence and your expectation in a heavenly city. Abraham looked for heaven. The fact that Abraham looked up indicates that Abraham understood the temporality, the briefness of man's existence upon this earth. Abraham understood that man's days on this earth are like the grass, which in the morning time is green and lush, and then the noonday sun shines fiercely upon it, and it wilts and withers. Man's days on this earth are like a breath, a sigh, at best, is man. And then the place of man's existence is known no more on this earth. Abraham understood that living in tents and looking for a heavenly city. But how quickly we can forget this reality that our time on this earth is so very brief. Just attended a funeral this past week, and after the funeral commented to my wife that funerals are always good for me personally, and that they remind me that someday I am going to be in that casket. We all are going to end up in that casket, going back down to the dust from whence God shaped us. And it's good for us to have a healthy remembrance of man's mortality. Not that we live morbidly, through this earth. Not that we throw our hands up in despair of, well, what's worth even trying? We're all going to end up dead anyways. No, not, it's not a healthy sense of man's mortality and weakness. But rather, beloved, it is used to help us put in perspective the things of this earth. How often do we not become so concerned about the things of this world? And we worry about all of the responsibilities and all of the callings that God has given unto us as church members, as parents, as fathers, and as mothers. And day by day we toil with the stress of these responsibilities as a weight that presses down upon us. And so it is good that from time to time we put in perspective the toils of this earth. We're all going to end up in a casket someday. Do we really want to spend our earth, our, our life on this earth worrying about things physical? Abraham lived in a tent, lived very loosely to the things of this earth because he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and whose maker 
is God. Faith. Faith is the explanation and the reason for why Abraham sought that heavenly city. What else did Abraham have going for him on this earth except for faith? Consider with me for a second where Abraham is at in life. Abraham is getting older. He received the call from Ur of Chaldees when he was 75 years old. Perhaps a number of years has already gone by since he received that call. He could be into his 80s. By now, Abraham is married, but they have no children. His wife is barren. Abraham lives in a tent. He does not have a physical home that he can point to and show off to his neighbors that this is Abraham's home. Abraham has already had to go down to Egypt for a while to escape the famine in the land of Canaan. Abraham has experienced conflict with his nephew, Lot, so that the two have eventually found it necessary to part ways so that they would not have constant enmity between them and their herdsmen. If you look at where Abraham is at in life at this point in time, from a human perspective, we would say, Abraham did not have much going for him. He's old, he's childless, and he doesn't have a home. But Abraham had faith. And by faith, he not only looked for that city, but he was confident that he would receive that city. He knew that God would take him into that heavenly city. And so by faith, Abraham learned to be content while he lived in a tabernacle. You see, God used the trials and the hardships of this earth in order to teach Abraham to look for that heavenly city. God used the lack of resources and materials and abundance of things physical on this earth to teach Abraham that Abraham was to long for a heavenly city. And so Abraham looked and Abraham hoped. Abraham said, or Abraham was, according to one commentator, overcome with homesickness for a better heavenly fatherland. Abraham anticipated that celestial city with a deep and a sure foundation, with glorious towers and bulwarks fair, with homes and even mansions inside of that city. He believed that God would send to this earth the promised seed of the woman who would do battle with the seed of the serpent, who would crush his head, and who would open up the way 
into the heavenly city. And so we with Abraham, rather we with the Apostle Paul, confess. Romans 8, verse 18. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed to us. Amen. Our Father which art in heaven, we long for that heavenly city, the new Jerusalem, where there will be no sin, no sorrow, no sickness, but all tears will be wiped away. We long to be citizens in that city which is above us all, and in that city which is the mother of us all. We presently, Father, are thankful for the nourishment that we receive from Thy church upon this earth. We long for that day when we can join the heavenly church, the church triumphant. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen.